Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. Recently, I was handing off a project. And in this case, I wasn't handing it off to another developer. I was sort of handing it back to the client because it was going to go on mothballs for a while. But I wanted them to have everything they needed in case they wanted to resume the project and I was not available. So going through that exercise, now that this is an older project, you know, going back five, six years now, my practices have improved since then, but I, I found some gaps in what I had already documented. And it took me some effort to dig some of those things back up to put it, put it back together. So I thought it might be an interesting topic for us to talk about today. Any tips or tricks on running a project with an eventual handoff in the future that uh, it's hard to predict when it might happen? I think that's a good um, good topic. Uh, I would say that I want to just extend it a little bit or just change it a little bit and say, mm-hmm. uh, not only handing it off, but um, just coming back to it yourself later. Or, <laughs> yes. Um, yep. And let, let's be honest, just coming back to it right away. Uh, there's many times that I've done something and then... Um, just say I destroyed all my Docker containers in a fit of rage. Um, And then I was like, wait, what did I do to get this running again? Right, right. Yeah. Um, No, I think that's that's fair. That's in scope for this discussion. It ties in well with what I had in mind. I I thought maybe even kind of starting, you know, as developers, we focus a lot on the technical aspects, but there's stuff involved in a project that isn't really like code or Docker configurations. There's Mm -hmm. like, where do you host the site? How was that provisioned? Who owns that site? How do you grant access to the server? Oh, how are you sending mail? Is that going through this service or that other service? Or, um, you know, any number of different things. And uh, trying to recreate all those steps. I've, I've been that guy inheriting the project where none of this was documented. And that's a lot of trial and error. Um, so having that all in one document is, is a huge win if for the next person that picks it up, whether that's me or some other dev in the future. So where, where would you put that kind of documentation? Yeah, I've, I've experimented. So in this particular example, I actually, it's, it's in a readme.markdown file in the root of the, the project that I'm handing off. But if it's, if it's an active project and it's on GitHub or, or a place that has like built-in wiki functionality, that, that is a nice place to put it because then it's with the code. Then you hand off one thing and it belongs in there. It, it lives in the same spot that the code lives in. The, the place that's a little tricky is sometimes there might be um, things you want to capture and document that are sensitive, passwords, access to accounts, things like that. And so that clearly wouldn't go in, in the wiki. I generally use a, a password manager locally. And the biggest thing I do is I never hold the main credentials for something. So if a, if a customer is going to host a site on AWS, they set up the AWS account and invite me to it. So I'm never left holding any sensitive credentials that are really for their account and their account only. Well, it sounds like you must have some pretty uh, technologically advanced customers then if they can set up their own <laughs> AWS configuration and everything or, or what do you not mean? The, yeah, not the configuration. So I, I have a... Um, I have a bunch of documents that I've captured over the year, years for how to set up an AWS account, how to set up a digital ocean account, how to invite me to your DNS provider, things like that. So GitHub, those, those sorts of things. I've had 
pretty good success with relatively non-technical clients being able to create an account and follow my steps to click the buttons to invite me to their account, you know, with full privilege access, generally as an administrator or owner or whatever that platform calls it. But the, the main thing is I don't want to know their AWS password, especially when they use their personal Amazon account and mm-hmm. it's tied to like <laughs> their full purchase history and Amazon Prime videos and all that, that sort of good stuff. So it's just, it's a nice level of insulation. And then when I want to leave a project, I just remove myself and I don't have access to it anymore. That sounds actually pretty cool. So where would I get a copy of those so <laughs> I don't have to write them myself? You know what? They're not published right now. But uh, by the time this goes live, I will put them up on the No Compromises website. So nocompromises.io. And at the bottom in the footer, I'll have a resources link and I'll make those templates available because they'd be beneficial to other people too. That's a good point. I don't mind sharing. Getting back maybe a little to the more technical aspects of a project. What have you found useful in terms of things to capture and document when when you're working on a project that will benefit the next guy or you <laughs> a week from now? All right. Well, I got two things that I kind of do uh, uh, almost religiously. The first is I rarely go and use a new service, uh, even unless there's a better, you know, even if there's a better one, um, unless there's a huge, huge benefit to that. So um, I've been using SendGrid for my email uh, because I use SendGrid for my email. <laughs> Not because Mailgun isn't better or Postmark or any of those things. They might have better things, but I use SendGrid because I have now invested some time in learning how that works. And mm-hmm. uh, if I want to document it, it's easier and I understand how it works. And I don't have to remember if I forgot to document it, where is the email for that project? It's probably sure. SendGrid because I use SendGrid. Um, and so I know as programmers, we like to go and try the newest tech, you know, technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but you kind of have to hold that back, especially when you're working with it for a client is, um, you know, don't always run towards the newest shiny thing, not only because of stability and all those different things, but about the ability to have it repeatable and you remember it and all those different, there's other reasons there as well. Yeah. I think like having standards is, is good. You know, so you're not picking things fresh each time and making, making that decision when it doesn't it's not really a critical decision. You know, they're all pretty equally good. Yeah. The, the second thing I do, um, which is, I would say it's always been worth, worth it. It's always been worthwhile. I've always been so thankful, but I never enjoy doing it is I open up the readme file or whatever. Um, and I write after each line, I've done something, what I did. So if I'm provisioning something for the first time and it's not going to be like in some sort of automated provisioning system or whatever, I will literally click on a link or something and then I'll write, click on this link or something like that Mm -hmm. uh, in my instructions. And it makes it so slow and it's just, (laughs) it's so irritating, Uh, but it's worth its weight in gold when you come back to it and you're like, wait, how do you add another authentication method in Firebase? Oh, let, let me look at my first list of how I did it. And you click that, and you click that, you click that. Yep. I mean, especially with something like Firebase, it's going to be like 80% accurate. They've changed it probably by the last time you've gotten in right. there. But um, yeah. uh, it's it's the one thing that I, I learned to do um, that I just, uh, I'll be completely honest. It's just, it's irritating, but mm-hmm. it's so worth it. Yeah, I can relate to that. In fact, with this uh, handoff documentation I wrote, I took it to another computer. You know, I have my main desktop I work on, but I also have a laptop I use occasionally. And um, I kind of started from a fresh slate there 
and made sure I could get access to everything. I told them they could get access to like, I generated a key pair and I said, well, you should be able to get in with this, but I tested it on a fresh machine. Yeah, yes, it actually does work. So validating that readme, I hopefully will save me some grief in the future when somebody actually tries to use it. There was, there was another thought I had about your uh, idea that you, you create everyone or you have everyone else create their own account. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of times where it's like the idea that maybe if I was a reseller um, and I provided service for them, I can get this recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, but you really have to kind of measure out uh, is, is your business model as a, as a programmer or a contractor uh, providing that service as a reseller? If, right. if it is, well, then you have to have a lot of them to make it worth your time uh, because at any one time, people are going to be contacting you for assistance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not and you just think, well, this is going to just give me an extra $10 a month or whatever, I can guarantee you it's never going to be worth it because all they have to do is contact you once in the next six, eight, 10 months. And it, now you're equal to like what an hour's worth of your time would have been that you could have built out. Right. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, even worse, if they contact you once, once every four months for just one thing, now you're behind really when you think about billable time or anything like that. Um, so yep. I would say that's, that's another thing is, is uh, not only do I have people make their own accounts for the reasons we're talking about, but also it's just never worth holding out to their accounts mm-hmm. for them. I, yeah, I totally agreed. I've, I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way, in fact, but um, now I do as much as possible to not be the, the, the only means of support for something like that, especially a, a low volume, smaller client. There's not going to be a ton of markup, like you said, so it's not even worth it. And on the sales side of things, I've actually called attention to the fact that I make it as, um, I kind of jokingly say this, but I make it as easy as possible to fire me in the future because mm-hmm. sometimes clients have gone through that process where they, they really feel held hostage by their previous developer. They're unhappy and they want to sever the relationship, but they don't know if they have all of the assets they need. They don't know if they hold all the accounts and it's, it's a whole ordeal to try to get that stuff out of someone's hands when there's already a strained relationship. So I've had more than one client actually say they liked that approach. And even though at the beginning of the relationship, oh no, this guy's great. I'm never going to want to fire him. <laughs> the fact is they might then they get to know change. you. Then they get I mean. to know me. <laughs> and and on the flip side, it's not just about firing. You know, what if what if I got sick or I decided mm-hmm. I didn't want to do this anymore? Or, you know, some other opportunity came along yeah. that gobbled up all my time. So there's a lot of reasons to not be the sole person that can manage something for a client. You know, one of the things I think is a little weird is the object of golf is to play the least amount of golf. Mm. Is that kind of weird? Like, like there's a thing where it's like, yes, if you do less of me, you've done better. (laughs) Having played golf, I can say that I will sometimes console my bad playing by saying I'm getting more of my money's worth. But yes, that that is an odd, that is, that is an odd thing about the sport for sure. The, the longer I stay on, on the golf course, the, the more I'm getting my money's worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I actually know that I, I worked as a, a groundskeeper at a golf course okay. as one of my first jobs. Um, and I can tell you, man, there is some, some weird experiences I've had there. And I was, a, I was a young man. So I was really kind of, I was, I was, I thought I was smart and I was a little bit of a jerk. Um, but one of the things we had was an issue where people would be playing, you know, on the, on the, they were on the, 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 um, 
green and someone hits a ball and it lands near them. Mm. And so uh, that happened one time there was like a, a dad and his kid were playing and then some guy hit something really close and I was waiting there with, with the greens mower, um, you know, with the really soft wheels. Um, and uh, I was like, I was just so irritated. And so I jumped off the greens mower. I grabbed his ball, picked it up, which, you know, is a no, no. Oh yeah. And I drove back to him and I don't think he knew what was going on until I got closer to him <laughs> and I handed him a ball. I said, you don't hit while there's people on the green. And then I turned around real fast and I'm going to go back to the green. I'm driving as fast as I can. I hear the ball. He hits it. And then he starts walking. He starts walking. And mind you, greens cutters are specific, uh, made specifically to be really nice to grass. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they also go very slowly. So he hit it. And then he walked past me as I was angrily driving back to the green. (laughs) And he was like, okay, just that guy. And I'm like, man, this is the worst thing. But I, I got hit by... I got hit Ooh. by a ball once um, okay. because it, and, and this was a old, we had older equipment, so it couldn't necessarily, um, it didn't have those seats, those special seats that would tell you if you could fall off or get knocked <laughs> okay. off or get off. Um, so I got hit in the side of a head with a, with, when I was doing the, the mowing for the rough, I got hit inside the, the head and knocked me off the tractor. When you do the, the rough mowing, it has those pole behind ones that are like, like old school mowers. And so I got knocked off and I'm laying there and then it just keeps going. And then two of those things run over my legs and like cut them all up. And I'm laying going, Oh, and then I realized I now have to get up and run after the tractor to stop it oh with all my legs bleeding and everything, just because someone hit me in the side of the head with a golf ball. That's a double whammy. That's what you call that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's funny too, because people like would pretend um, like we didn't know what was going on so many times. They come back with a golf cart to the, mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I don't know why it's it's suddenly not working anymore. And you have to smile at them and say, oh, just take another one. Ha, ha, ha. And then you, you go and you take it back uh, and you put it up on a jack. Um, and there's like a full willow tree wrapped around the axle. You're like, okay. I, I know what happened. You <laughs> went through the marsh and you <laughs> got stuck. And then you're like, I don't know what happened. Just say what it was. We're going to give you another one. But don't surprise me with the whole willow tree. Uh, by any chance, did this uh, golf course establishment serve alcohol to the patrons as they were playing the sport? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, it, it did. <laughs> there was, that, uh, uh, yeah. that certainly is an impact on on how well they played and the sorts of damage that probably happened. Actually, I think I don't really like golf anymore. And I'm not entirely certain if all of these experiences have anything to do with it or not. I imagine they do. <laughs> Would you like to get regular Laravel tips in your inbox? Sign up for our free weekly newsletter at our website, nocompromises.io slash tips. 